Well, let's open up in a word of prayer, and then we'll uh, talk about our new topic. There's all these dates and everything. Very exciting. All right, well, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we uh, come before you grateful for this time we have, uh, that we get to uh, think about your word, that we can uh, even talk about it amongst ourselves and uh, try and find answers that you have revealed to us, Lord, we pray for uh, wisdom today as we uh, go through this new uh, topic that uh, your spirit will work in us because of the work of your son and all of which is possible because of your love for us. So we pray for your, uh, for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So we have done a done different uh, studies on, uh, we, we asked uh, who is God, we asked who is Christ, and we asked who is the Holy Spirit. Uh, this next study we're going to ask, what is God's Word? Um, what's interesting is that uh, you might think to yourself, self, I think I already have that down. But we will see, uh, as we dig deep into this. Um, sometimes things that seem simple aren't so simple, and things that seem complex are a little more simple than we thought. We're going to look at that. Um, today, all we're doing is introducing the topic, so we're going to be talking to each other a little bit about what we already know, and maybe what we still need to know. Um, and uh, next week, we start at how God revealed himself through what's called general revelation. We're going to the week after that, talk about special revelation, what the differences are, what they're meant to do, and all that sort of thing. We're going to talk about what, uh, what techniques we should use to interpret Old Testament stories. Um, there's uh, specific things that we already need to understand about Scripture before we even do that, and there's techniques we need to incorporate so we understand what we're reading. Then we're going to do the same thing for the New Testament. Then we're going to spend time talking about what we call the attributes of God's Word. What does it mean that God's Word has authority? Uh, what does it mean that it is necessary and clear and sufficient? So that's kind of be the study before us. Um, and I'm going to hopefully, uh, as we introduce it today... Uh, it might help you get excited, curious, or whatnot. Um, I see the look on your faces, and I can tell that some of you are, uh, might be thinking that maybe this might be a little easy. So, we will start with a question. And it's going to sound philosophical, but it's not philosophical. Um, it's something people in philosophy have dealt with, but it's not a philosophical question. Um, the question is, how do you know what's real? I will start with a story. <laughs> it's all good, all good uh, Sunday school starts with stories. Uh, so, um, when I was in the army, uh, I was stationed in Illesheim, Germany. And uh, I got... Uh, put together with a group of Christians there. Uh, back in the 90s, 
they had two kinds of, uh, of groups uh, if you wanted to get involved in church. So they had the Protestant <coughs> service, and then they had the Catholic service. That was it. So either you were Protestant or Catholic. What, what brand of Protestant didn't matter? They covered their base. It was Protestant. So uh, the, when I first got there, there was a charismatic guy who was in charge of the Protestant group. Uh, later on, a Methodist guy came uh, who was actually the conservative. It's very interesting stuff. Uh, so uh, when I got there, it was the charismatic guy. So uh, the group was very charismatic. So there was this guy leading one of the Bible studies. And we were sitting in the Bible study. He's talking about the work of the Holy Spirit. He was just very excited. He was an African-American man, so he had uh, kind of a, a rhythm to his, to his talk. And he was, uh, he was talking about how the Holy Spirit can lead us into all truth. And I said, amen, amen. Holy Spirit can, can make us, uh, can revive us. And said, amen, amen. The Holy Spirit can give us power, more power than you can imagine. I was like, amen, amen. The Holy Spirit can give us the power to resurrect the dead. And everyone's like, uh, oh. Is that, is that right? It got weird. And then he brought attention to it because I think he was quite annoyed. <laughs> People didn't like that part. He said, now I can tell in this room that there are those of you that think that the Holy Spirit won't give us the power to resurrect the dead. You don't have the faith. And so he went on and on. So what was going on there? We were starting to deal with uh, reality, right? Uh, he was going on and on. There were certain things we thought, yeah, that's real. That's real. Holy Spirit can do that. That's real. That's real. And then when he started talking about resurrecting the dead, because uh, he meant we could do that. Not like that's what happened in the past, uh, but he was talking about like if someone you love dies, you pray over that loved one, and they will get up. So, um, and that's not too different than what, you know, even recently uh, with that guy uh, who wrote that book about Islam. Mm, uh, yes. <laughs> I'm sorry for putting you in the spot, honey. You're smarter than me, so I just assume, you know, have all knowledge. Um, so... Uh, recently, there's this guy who wrote, who wrote this series of books about Islam, and very good books, very interesting about Islam and how he got saved out of Islam. And uh, when he died, uh, he was a part of a church that really believed if they prayed hard enough and had the faith, they could resurrect it. So it's not that, uh, it's not that I'm not talk, talking about something so strange or different than what's going on today, but, um, but what we were dealing with is what we believe is real. What was it? Nabil. Nabil. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. So, um, so when, when you're talking to someone about things, uh, how do you judge what's real and what's not real? How do you know what's real? Does it contradict the Word of God? Okay. Interesting. Um, there is a... Uh, there's a, a uh, textbook, a Christian textbook that just came out in 2019. Very conservative Christian textbook. And in it they have these, uh, little, these little blurbs as it goes through. It's a, it's a history textbook. 
Um, and homeschoolers are really interested in it. And they have these blurbs called um, apologetics and uh, archaeology. And so what they do is they go through and they, you know, if they find something in archaeology that proves the Bible's right, whatever that means, uh, they, you know, they document this. So they were talking about uh, the book of Judges. And, then, and this is the sentence. The book of Judges have some very interesting stories in it, comma, but how do we know they're real? So how do you know the book of Judges, if I could put it this way, is real, that it really happened? How would you know that? Hebrews 11. <laughs> what was it <coughs> Hebrews 11? They, uh, oh, <laughs> right. Second Timothy 3 is the general one. Okay. Okay, all scripture. So we have this, this promise in scripture that says all scripture is breathed out by God himself. Now, Hebrews 11, 1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Okay, so there's this faith aspect that is also given to us. Is there something else? Outside of scripture that can help you know what's real. Historical accounts. Okay, interesting. The creation itself. Okay. Well, let me... Uh, the reason why I'm asking these questions is because there, there's controversy about this. And um, within the Christian world. And I think... Uh, this is helpful for us to get some clarity about it. There are people that we would consider conservative Christians uh, at conservative seminaries that would say that the Bible doesn't necessarily account for all truth in the universe. That there's other sources that we can go to to know something about the world. And what I would propose to you, this study might help us do, is understand that Scripture uh, is the source that accounts for all the knowledge in our universe. That it tells us what is real. Um, and throughout, our, throughout uh, these weeks we meet together... Um, we're not gonna, it's not going to come across all in one, one week or one lesson. But little by little, especially as we go through uh, what special and general revelation are, and especially as we get through those attributes of what Scripture is, I want to convince you, hopefully through Scripture, that Scripture really does account for all the knowledge in our universe. And this is important because if it does not, there's some consequences to that that's very problematic. And we're going to talk about those later on. Yes? Can I play devil's advocate and ask a question just for the sake of clarity? The advocate of the devil. <laughs> so can, restate, restate what you just 
said scripture accounts for all the all the all the well, let me put it this way all the knowledge humans are able to have in the universe. Okay. Created. So, so if I were my my brother, mm -hmm. as a scientist, I would say I can't go to scripture to find out about cell structure or That's right. a, you know the the chemical compounds that make up the elements. So what are you saying? Good question. So is the Bible designed to describe all knowledge in the universe? No. The Bible does not describe all knowledge in the universe, otherwise it would be a lot thicker. And uh, Paul would be addressing cell structure. But the question is, how can we account for cell structure? Because simply describing it doesn't account for it. And that's the problem of science today, right? The problem of science today is that they can describe the universe using categories that they've developed so that they can talk about it. But if you ask them, how is it possible that a cell can be so complex? Well, I don't know. It is. And this is why. And they give you categories. But, you say, well, but how is it so complex? Why is it so ordered? How come there's not parts within a cell that, you, that have no real use? How is it that we can even talk about a cell because no one's ever seen the inside of one? And so, how do we account for this? And science can't account for it. It's not its job to account for, really. Um, but they, they tend to, so they'll say, well, we can account for it because really when we're talking about all this order, we're saying it came from some kind of a Big Bang. <coughs> and so then we argue, well, how does a Big Bang come out of nothing? Well, the new argument is it didn't come out of nothing because our universe is just a local area in a bigger universe. And the, and the bigger universe dropped the, the God particle that started all this. Well, that bigger universe, uh, it doesn't matter. So those kind of accountings are important because that's that tells you how you're going to describe the world. Does that make sense? So when we're talking about accounting, um, the Bible's not going to talk about football. Right? The Bible's not going to say, now, let me tell you about another aspect of the world. There's going to be this game coming pretty soon, Paul, <laughs> called football. So I want you to write about that and put it all in. Well, it's not going to do that, but Scripture talks about subduing and ruling. That seems to be this principle within human beings that God has placed in us. And so we act that out. We act out subduing and ruling. And we do it through particular ways that God has told us to do it, in a fair way, in a way that is uh, comparable to others. Does that make sense? So we're going to find that humans can't escape this accountability have to account for. So we can, we're not able just to stop at describing. We've got to account for how we're describing things. What we want to get to is that if we don't have scripture, if God never revealed himself, uh, the chaos that sounds crazy. Um, when a professor says something like, why shouldn't we kill babies after they're born. It sounds crazy, 
But if you don't have an accounting for your description, it makes complete logical sense. If we've already been able to say that killing a baby in the womb, based on these certain criteria, is okay, and that criteria applies to a baby outside the womb, why wouldn't we apply that same principle? It makes sense. Unless that description is tied to an accountability, how can I account for my description? Then those things that sound crazy to, to us aren't crazy at all. They make complete sense. And so that's why accountability is so important. And that's why when we say what's real and what's not real, we really want to uh, get a hold of that. So Be- logic, right? Kind of. Is that what you're... Is that what you're kind of coming from here? No. Um, we're going to talk about that in a little bit, too, because logic is nice, but it doesn't do what we need it to do. So when, when you're talking about describing accountability, mm-hmm. what are you tying that to? Okay. So every... Um, <laughs> eventually we're going to get to this. <laughs> um, well, let me, uh, let me start with these examples, and this might help. So when we're talking about what's real, um, as you start getting into your 40s, late 40s, 50s, 60s, you start thinking about the fact that your immortality uh, is going to start to be, to be questioned, right? <laughs> Those of you in your teens and 20s are still pretty convinced that you're never going to die. Now, on a quiz, you would never say that because that's crazy. But in your mind, you're pretty much thinking, this is going to just last forever. Your spirit. (laughs) Right. But I mean, I mean, even they will, I mean, I've worked with college students long enough to understand that somewhere in their mind, they're thinking, I'm just going to be this way forever. Because we're always shocked on the day we get up and we're like, ah, what is that? Why does my back hurt? Or how can I... That pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> How come I can't eat an entire pizza, an entire two liter of pop, and be okay? Um, I remember when I was in my teens, even in my 20s, I could eat a full pizza, a full two liter, and a package of Twinkies. <laughs> Wake up in the morning and go, I feel great. Let's <laughs> <So> just <laughs> time to move on. Maybe I should do that again tonight. And it wouldn't matter. Compared to what now? Now. <laughs> now when I, when I smell pizza, I could literally feel my gut rolling over my belt buckle. Right? Just the smell alone. Uh, things change. You actually start invest. You start saving up money to buy a certain mattress, and you teenagers are like what? I need a mattress for. All these things will be important to you one day, young ones. You will see. So, uh, when you start edging toward realizing that all this ends, you really start questioning: How do I know what's real? In other words, we are banking a lot on what happens when we die, right? 
I mean, we are pilgrims. Isn't that the case? I mean, if you're basing your entire life on being someone that is not at home here, because everything you're doing is for something out beyond all this, everything, um, you are doing everything for death, right? Because there's life after that. <laughs> and it's easy to get involved in a youth group that celebrates how cool it is to love Jesus and how uh, through the right apologetics you don't have to be the dumb guy at your public university and uh, how Jesus just helps you feel good on the inside because of your relationships with other people and your church and church is great. But what do you do as, I mean, is, are you looking at Christianity, are you looking at scripture as that which is real? Instead of that which makes you feel good in the right environment, with the right people, in the right church. Because if you're not in the right church, with the right people, how could all this be real? And this goes particularly for young people in their teens and 20s. That feel a church needs to make me feel good about Jesus by having programs with my friends, so that I can really feel okay about God through these relationships, because that's what's going to make Jesus real to me. And the Bible might be interesting to me, but not real. I'm trying to reach at something that we never talk about, uh, but is this thing that's there. My life is going well. I just love having Jesus in my life. You better believe the Bible's real. And then it doesn't go well. That person in my life betrays me. That person who has been the one talking about God and all that and supposed to be leading my home fails. The person in my church that I kind of felt was the only person I really connect to really treated me like dirt the other day. The pastor said something that I'm struggling with. I don't like that. And suddenly this thing that's supposed to be real doesn't seem nearly as real as the problems and the failures of our life. If God's real, then how come, how come I'm going through this? So... I want to really reach at this question because it's not a philosophical question. <laughs> it's a question of what I think about this thing we call Christianity. What do I think about the Bible? Um, our culture teaches us that we can know uh, what is real through our feelings that's your first blank oh boy we may not get through this but uh, your first blank there is feelings um, and on a quiz 
we would be really good at saying that I don't judge what's real based on my feelings. But in real life, that's absolutely what we judge. Um, in our loneliness, in our feelings of being uh, distant from everyone at our church or people in your own home, that seems more real than this ancient book put before us. Young people, wondering what on earth you're going to do with yourself, wondering what kind of friendships uh, do I need to have, wondering, am I ever going to get out of this house so I can do all the cool stuff I want to do that I saw on a movie once that really worked well for that actor, I want that to happen to me. And I know it will. Because movies have taught me if I just believe in myself, I'll do great. I have full confidence that I will believe in myself and I will do great. And I am not uh, trying to pick on you because I am describing uh, how I felt. When I was uh, in my house, I felt uh, I've seen a lot of movies and people really did well if they were really cool and I think I'm cool. And uh, so I'm going to get out there and do great. And these feelings meant a lot more to me than a book. But when my feelings were going great, the book, the book seemed really real to me. It's just when my feelings got destroyed that the book no longer seemed real to me. Acada acad academia teaches us we know what is real through science. Science can teach you what's real. Um, until you ask a, a, an honest scientist, right? You talk to a guy like Karl Popper. Well, he's dead now, but if you were to talk to him, um, an honest scientist would say, well, we use something called inductive reasoning, which is based on our observations, which are based on our perceptions. Which means we're doing the best we can to describe the world, but we have no idea what it really means. Right? We do our best to describe the world based on the way we think about the world. We have lots of paradigms based on how a, personal, a scientist on his personal level thinks about things. And he's hoping you'll think about them that way too. But we're left with science doing its best to describe what's there, trying to predict what could be next, based if you believe what they said about their description. If you look at a history of philosophy, it teaches us we can't know. If, you're a, if you want to study philosophy, if you really want to get deep into it, go throughout all the history of what all the philosophers have said, uh, you will come to the conclusion that I, not only do we not know, but you can't. You can't know. What I want to help you understand is that the Bible is not this thing that becomes more real based on your emotional state. It does not become more real based on whether some scientist found some trinket in the desert somewhere that now helps us go, oh yeah, maybe it is real. Because they found this little, uh, this little uh, 
outline somewhere, and uh, indeed, uh, judges can be real now because they found some stuff uh, out there. And I know I can believe the stuff, right? The stuff is real. I believe that. So that helps me believe this book because I'm not sure this is real. Does that make sense? Um, I want to uh, address this because I think we've, we have a very low view of how powerful God's revelation is to us, particularly as he revealed himself in Scripture. What I mean by a low view, this is something seminarians talk about, so I should talk about it. Someone says low view. It, it, it means that um, you don't think it's very powerful. Um, so if you have a low view of scripture, you might say, well, it's, it does what it can, but the real power is somewhere else. The real power is whether I find some kind of scientific evidence that then helps me believe this. Or the real power is when I find <coughs> some kind of emotional stability inside myself that then makes me feel like this is okay. Because I'm telling you, as you really start studying scripture, it's going to go against the grain of your feelings. And it's oftentimes when it goes against the grain of our feelings that our, uh, our doubt comes. Because it is challenging what we want to believe. Right? What we're going to find is part of our sinful nature is trying to find comfort in anything except for what the Lord has revealed to us. We will want our feelings to be that comfort. Or some scientific thing out here so we don't sound so dumb. We can say, look, we have science too. And what I want to get us to is that Scripture is the nuclear weapon we have against Satan. It is the power, the only place that is promised that power comes through the Holy Spirit. It doesn't come through trinkets in the desert. It doesn't come through your emotional state. It doesn't come to your situation, whether your situation is good or not. The power is in the Word. Um, okay. So, one thing I want us to concentrate on is this, uh, the Westminster Confession of Faith 7-1. This is uh, just the first paragraph there. I want us to fill it in. It will help us to get an idea of what reality is. Um, it starts off the distance between God and the, and the creature is so great. Okay? So it starts off helping us understand that God is not a person like us. If I let me finish that sentence, otherwise I just committed heresy. Um, God is not a person like us, He is the person. God does not act like us. We try to act like God. That's an important distinction to make. So the distance between God and the creature is so great 
that although reasonable creatures, talk about humans, not animals, reasonable creatures do owe obedience unto him as their creator. Okay? So this distance is huge. And even though we owe our obedience to him, yet they could never have any fruition, any understanding, any joy, any contemplation of him as their blessedness and reward. But by some condescension on God's part. Now, what are we saying? The distance is huge. And because he made us, we owe obedience to him. How are we supposed to even know him, find our fulfillment in him, find joy in him, have any understanding of him, if he doesn't condescend to us? Because there's nothing that can help us get to him. Does that make sense? In other words, Thomas Aquinas was wrong. We do not have this thing called logic that then we can climb up to understand God. God has to condescend <coughs> down to us so we understand him. And we've talked about condescension before. When I talk to one of your young ones who are three or four years old and I bend down to their level and I start talking in really simple ways, I am condescending to them, right? I'm a little smarter than the sentences I'm using to your kids, right? But I'm not saying anything that's false. I'm helping them understand. Because I've figured out ways, after having kids myself, I've figured out ways how to condescend to children so they understand what I'm saying. Condescension. has to be on my part. They can't figure out a way to start understanding adult Sunday school. I have to go down on their level. Make sense? So this condescension is on God's part, which he was pleased to express by way of, and the next word is vital, because it's going to separate us from many other denominations. <coughs> denominations. It's going to separate us from being Catholics, this next word. It's going to separate us from being um, what we call Arminian. It's going to separate us from a lot of different groups. This next word. If the next word was, God was pleased to express by way of reason. Don't put that down. If that were the next word, everything would be different. But that's not the word. The word he was pleased to express by way of covenant. Covenant. This word will be very important to us as we go through this document <coughs> called the Bible. That, the, that God has expressed himself to us in. And this document is a covenantal document. If we do not understand that concept, a lot of scripture is going to be really confusing to us. I've talked about this before. John 3.16 is a conundrum to a lot of our brothers in Christ because they don't understand that John 3.16 is conditions of a covenant. 
And who participates in that covenant is mentioned about three chapters down. If you don't have covenant in your mind when you're reading John 3.16, it's not going to make any sense when you get to John 6. But if you do have covenant in mind, then it changes everything. So this is why uh, this will be so helpful to us. Because covenant doesn't include just things be seeming reasonable. Covenant includes things being promised. That our comfort does not have to be in our feelings. Our comfort does not have to be in our situation. And our comfort does not have to be in whether science has found something that we can hold on to to say, Look, we're relevant! It provides comfort in the promises of Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit and that is not promised through logic or staring at the grass or the trees. It's promised through Scripture, God's Word. And we'll get to what all that means. I hope there's lots of questions zooming around in your mind. You're like, I don't know if he's right about that. Or this is very strange. What is he talking about? I've been asleep this whole time. (laughs) If those questions are going through your mind, that's great. Because that means that next week you might be what we call anticipatory. You might be interested in what's coming up next. So with the last 60 seconds, let's uh, flex our hand really quickly because we need to just jump through this really quick as a way of, of projecting what we're going to be getting as we go. So what is reality? God is reality and speaks it into creation. God is reality and speaks it into creation. That is going to be huge. We're going to learn there's a lot from Luther that we have lost over the years that I wish Lutherans actually believed. Uh, God reveals reality to us in a creaturely way. In other words, God does not give us the exact mind of him because if, he, if we had his mind, we would then become God. But he reveals himself in a particular way. That will be important. God reveals reality in a general way, in nature, and God reveals uh, reality in a specific way, Scripture. So he reveals reality in a general way, nature, and reveals reality in a specific way, Scripture. And how we respond to those two revelations is what we're going to be talking about when we talk about general and specific revelation. Why does it matter? The only way for us to know anything is through God's revelation. That's a big claim. If you have doubts, that's wonderful because that means... I want you to really pay attention as we go through this and challenge me with hard questions. Because this is vital that we don't lose what is promised in Scripture as being a powerful uh, way of knowing our God, understanding reality, 
and that impacting us, even in our emotions. All right. Good. Is everyone excited? Yes. All right. Good. Those that said yes, you get to come back next week. All right. Well, let's have a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we uh, come before you. Um, And as we do, we think about how you revealed yourself to us. We pray for um, a real work of the Holy Spirit as we go through this study in the next few weeks. That this will uh, impact our minds, impact our hearts, and even impact our behavior. We pray that these things will... um, be all to your glory as we, as we think about your word and your revelation to us. Pray for your uh, help and strength over um, this next hour as we worship you. That we will worship you with humble hearts. Uh, worship you through your spirit and through the glory and power uh, that you demand in worship. Pray for Andrew as he speaks to us. He speaks your word to us that we will listen with humble hearts, eager to learn what you have for us to know. We ask these things in your son's name. Amen.